morning. Good morning. Uh, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Sun's uh, shining, or at least it's been shining for a bit of the last week. Some are feeling like it's coming. Feels great outside. It feels great inside this morning. As you all should be aware, since the beginning of the year, been talking to you about Lord enabling us. And you know what? You just never know what a day is going to hold, do you? So I've been standing up here saying, Lord, enable us to speak your word boldly. And I want to just share a little bit of a story with you about last week. It was Wednesday here at the office. And Pastor Julie said to me, how would you like to go this evening and support Pastor Avdal? Now, if you don't know, there's another church that meets right here at our facility over at our school auditorium, Hope Christian Church. It's an Arabic-speaking church, and Pastor Avdal Bokhtar is the pastor, and he's become a great friend of ours. And so Pastor Avdal was going to be speaking at our local restaurant and Julie was told it was going to be a predominantly Muslim audience. So she said, would you like to go? He needs some support. I said, it's Wednesday night. I don't, it's, but I said, all right, we'll go and uh, we'll be there. So this was a local restaurant over on 15 Mile Road and we went. We, were, we got there at just about seven o'clock. The place was packed wall-to-wall -wall people. And I, we couldn't barely get in the door, and I swum my way through a sea of people, and I found someone who had a notepad, and I said, could you put my name down? And uh, we'd like to get a table sometime. This place just looks like we'll never get a table. Pastor Abdel wasn't there, so we squished ourselves over with this group of people, and I was standing next to a young lady, and she said, wow, it's really packed for the holiday. And I said, what's the holiday? And she said, well, this is our holiday. Ramadan's over. And I said, oh, last day of Ramadan. Now you can eat. And she's like, yeah, we can eat during the day. This is a great thing. So the place was packed. I had no idea. Pastor Avdal showed up. And he had three people from his church. He had candies and uh, candy bars that he was going to pass out to the entire restaurant. He had a card written in Arabic that was John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. And if you don't know it very briefly, John 7 is about the Feast of Tabernacles. And there at the end, or uh, about verse 37, Jesus uh, is described, it says, it's the last day of the festival. And Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me, and I'll give you a drink. And it will satisfy you forever, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. It's the last day of the festival. So Pastor Abdel said, this is what I'm going to preach. And I said, Pastor, how is it you're even here? He said, let me tell you. I was here a while ago, and I was sitting at a table sharing the gospel. And he said, I came back about a week or so later because I like the food here. He said, I sat down at a table, and a man walked over to me, and he said, hey, I heard what you were saying about a week or so ago. 
And I love the way Pastor Abdal said it. He said, the man said, it touched my heart. Touched his heart. And he said, I'm the owner. And he said, what's your name? And he said, I'm Pastor Abdal. And he said, Abdal, my restaurant is your restaurant. And he said, whenever you'd like. So here, Pastor Abdal had made these arrangements. They had a microphone uh, set up. And so he was going to go give a brief word about John uh, chapter 7. And Jesus saying it's the last day of the festival like it was the last day of their festival. But here he's talking about Jesus bringing the living water. So we were um, with him. We we're going to pray for him. And he says, Pastor Pat, and then you're coming up. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, you know, every, most everybody speaks Arabic here, but there's a few people that speak English. Come on up. I'm like, Lord, enable me to speak your word boldly. <laughs> and it was amazing. He stood up, and he, the, the owner turned the place over to him. And it was loud. Everyone was having fun, but he, he called their attention. He spoke his word. I have no idea what he said, except... He told me where he was coming from. He had this card he was passing out. When he was done, his uh, people were passing out the candies and the cards and a little bit about Hope Church, and all I heard was Pat. That's it. And he's looking at me. So I went up there, and I said, let me tell you about my friend. And he was at the last day of his festival, like you're at the last day of your festival. And my friend's name is Jesus. And he can offer you a drink. He said, if you're thirsty, come to me. So I gave the, uh, the word that Pastor Abdal had on his heart. And I talked a little bit about the woman at the well who also received that same uh, message from Jesus. I'll give you a drink of living water. And I had no idea as I was saying that. Someone said, you know, you were in this group of uh, Muslim folks and you talked about women. And I it didn't even occur to me that, uh, yes, in their society, things are different. So I encouraged them that, yeah, Jesus went to men, he went to women, and it was just amazing. There were several people who stood up immediately, too. And that's when I was praying, Lord, enable me. As soon as I started talking, three or four men stood up, and they went like this. <laughs> I said, All right, I'm giving you the word. <laughs> So you never know. Let's pray. Let's keep that prayer in front of us because maybe one day you'll be asked to share. Kind of in front of a group maybe you weren't prepared to. So Lord, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Amen. Amen. Now, let's move on this morning with our theme what we introduced last week. And you heard from Brother Barry this morning. I began talking about construction because it is orange barrel season. They are everywhere. And for our roads, we definitely need them. You know, I, I, Barry was in a much warmer southern climate where they don't use salt on the roads. So I understand maybe they need construction from time to time, but what he said about potholes is probably true. We get them from the salt and the snow and the freezing. 
And when they got to get fixed, and you come into that construction zone, of course, it catches you off guard. You get frustrated. You, you are slowed down, and you don't want to slow down because you're on a mission to get to wherever it is you got to go. And of course, when you got to stop in that construction zone and people are cutting you off, and they're running down that one lane till the last second to cut in, you're frustrated and you can get angry. And of course, you, we hear about these road rage incidents. And can life be like this? Life, our own lives, we're going along smoothly and then whack. We have to stop. We get, uh, we get frustrated. We get slowed down. And some kind of construction begins on us. The Lord begins to work on us. We find ourselves under construction just like the potholed, riddled roads that we're accustomed to, the roads that need repair. So last week I talked about one who needed repair, the man named Job, but I want to shift the metaphor a little bit for you this morning. Think of the road that's wide open. It's in decent repair. It's pretty good shape, relatively smooth, and it's near the roadway under construction. It's near the work zone. What happens to that roadway? What happens to that highway that's near to the one that's under construction? Well, that road becomes the alternate route, doesn't it? And it too can become snarled with traffic. It can become a slowdown zone. It can be an unpleasant place to be. Now, Garfield Road was recently under construction, just north of 16 Mile Road. Garfield is my typical route to get here to the church. I will come uh, southbound on, on Garfield till I get to 16 Mile Road and then head east. But it was blocked, it was down in one lane, so I would just go up to Hayes, come down Hayes to Utica Road, then I could either go left or right. It was a pretty nice alternate route until Monday. Monday I, was, Monday I was coming to the office a little earlier than my usual time. It was about 7.15 in the morning I found myself on Hayes. And that's just, that's just a couple hours after I go to bed, so it's pretty early for me. And I'm coming down Hayes, get past Clinton River Road, and, I, you know, it's morning. I'm not paying as best attention as I should, and slam into just a whole bunch of brake lights. I'm like, what's going on here? There's no construction on Hayes. And from almost Clinton River to Utica Road, it's backed up. I got to sit through two or three light cycles. I'm like, I'm, I have a commitment. That's why I'm got, I've gotten up early, and I can't get there. My alternate route is now, it's now shut down. And I, ugh, you know, it's Monday morning. It's Monday. My week is starting terrible. And I haven't even gotten to the office yet. Because my alternate route, it's let me down. It wasn't the smooth way. It didn't help me out at all. And now, think about that. Last week, I talked about the one who was under construction. 
Sometimes we're that one who's under construction. But sometimes we're like the alternate route. We're close with the one who's being worked on. We are there to alleviate some of the pain, some of the uh, congestion, some of the frustration. That's what the alternate route is there for, to bring some kind of relief. But sometimes it just doesn't go so well. And I, I'm sure every one of you who drives a vehicle can relate to that. Now, Job, the man I introduced last week, he was the man under construction. He had three friends come visit him. And they were like the alternate route in his life. They came purportedly to bring some aid, some comfort, some relief. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Naamathite, his three friends. Now today, for our example, I might say Eliphaz Avenue. There's Eliphaz Avenue, there's Bildad Boulevard, there's Zophar Drive. This morning, I want to just consider one of these alternate routes. And I'll say, uh, Eliphaz Avenue was supposed to be relief. Let's talk about the relief that this alternate route, so to speak, in Job's life brought him. Here's the man who found himself under a great deal of uh, strain and stress. God was working on him. He was under a major construction and, here, and this man, he was called out by God, not for the things that he had done wrong. No, God pointed him out for his righteousness, for the things that he was doing in terms of following the Lord. And yet, he lost all of his wealth and 10 children in one day. It's pretty difficult. And then another day rolled on and his body was covered with painful sores that the only way he could find relief was scraping himself with broken pottery. Now that's some pretty serious, serious struggle. And then his three friends come along, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, after they had heard about his struggles, and they paid the man a visit. They were dumbfounded when they saw him because he was so wrecked. Didn't even recognize him. And they mourned with him. By doing what was the custom of the day, they, they tore their clothes as a sign of their anguish. They sat down on the ground. They put dust on their heads. And this was to show that they were in suffering with their friend. They were mourning with the one who was mourning. And then they sat there for seven days with their friend, not saying a word. They're there supporting him just by their very presence. And then Job spoke. And it was as if a dam broke. He burst open. And he cursed the day he was born. I wish I was never born. There's no reason I should have been born. I, I, I wish that I had been still born. He longed then to die. He was longing for death. And he said, what I have feared, what I have dreaded has come upon me. My greatest fear has been realized. 
And he didn't understand God was in it all. God was in the whole thing. God was in control. The Lord had identified Job to the devil. And he had initiated this test in Job's life. Job did not realize that God's hand in forming our lives is ever-present. God initiates. God initiates these times of work, these times of construction in our lives to awaken our minds and to awaken our hearts to his presence, even though it's painful. And Job, he was fearing that this was going to happen to him. He was fearing this pain, and it occurred. Instead of anticipating it, he was frightened. And Job chapter 3 It tells this great lament of of Job, spilling his guts to his friends, revealing his innermost thoughts. Then his friend Eliphaz speaks up. Perhaps he could say something to alleviate some pain. Perhaps he could bring some relief to the situation. Maybe he could be sort of an alternate route in this major construction in Job's life. And what he said, it's recorded in Job chapters 4 and 5. And this is what characterizes really the next 20 or so chapters, 24 chapters in the book of Job. It's dialogue, back and forth, Job and his friends. After this lament where Job spills his guts, his friends begin to offer him their thoughts, their opinions, their advice. Chapters 4 and 5, these are quotes of Eliphaz, who's the first one to speak up, and then Job will respond, and then the other friend, and it'll go back and forth. But this morning, just these, these two couple chapters, 4 and 5, and I, I'm not going to read the whole chapters to you. I want to bring you some excerpts that, that characterize this man's approach, Eliphaz's approach with his friend. But before I read, let's put ourselves in the place of that helper, that one who's come to comfort. Let's put ourselves in the the place of the one who's not on trial, but the person who's there to bring a little aid and relief, not the one in construction, but again, this this alternate route, if you will. And let's let's take a little ride down Eliphaz Avenue and see see what happens. So... First, how it began, how he opens in his conversation with Job. Job chapter 4, this is verses 1 through 8. It says, Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees, Job. But now trouble comes to you, and you are discouraged. It strikes you. You are dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? 
As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Eliphaz continues. And when we read this, we may see it sounds a little cold, perhaps. And Job, Job's friends, are they're pilloried for really being cold and harsh and cruel. But let's remember something about these, these friends of Job. They're human. They are failable. They are not perfect. I believe that they came with the best of intentions on their hearts. After all, they shared in their friend's grief. They've showed signs of that. They tore their clothes. They sat down. They put ashes on their head. They sat there for seven days, didn't say a word. They were there with their presence to support their friend. So I want to believe they came with the best of intentions to help their brother in a time of need. But we might learn from them that good intentions don't always lead to good results. And when we read through this book, we can see that. Eliphaz seemingly had the best of intentions, but he didn't use the best tact in his approach. How did he begin? Hey, Job, you gonna get impatient with me if I talk? We get angry? You gonna get upset? You gonna blow a gasket if I speak? And after what you said, brother, who can keep silent? I got something to say, and I'm going to say it, okay? So, I'm going. And, and he goes on to say, you are a mentor. You know this stuff. And you help so many people. Those with feeble knees. And now, you're under construction, and you are falling apart. You can't handle it. You're dismayed. So Now, what is sort of the subtle implication here from uh, Eliphaz? Hey, Job, you're a hypocrite. You know, you can give it out, but you can't take it. Yeah, you're great at giving advice, but look at you now. Where's all your advice? From what I observed, those who plow evil reap it. Now, what's, what's that all about? I mean, he rolls right from this, hey, listen, you know, you're a great mentor, you can't take it, then wham. Those who plow evil reap it. Job, you must be sinning. There is some evil in your life, right? Yeah, he had great intentions, and the best intentions don't always lead to the best results. I don't know that this is really going to end very well. But Eliphaz, he continues. Let's keep going down Eliphaz Avenue and see what he says next. He implies he has a word from the Lord. Job 4.12. A word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it. Now, Eliphaz goes on to describe how this word from the Lord came to him. This elaborate dream that woke him up and he was really frightened and, and then he heard this whisper and the spirit was there and he, he, he describes it all. And then he tells Job what the word is. 
Job 4, 17 to 19. So here's the word of the Lord to Eliphaz for Job. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth. So, wow. Hey, Job, I heard from the Lord, you're in sin. Seriously, if God's angels are held to account, he's going to take them to task for their error. How much more those, uh, those of us who are made from the dust of the earth, we're living in these bodies of clay. It's, it's a reference to the human. Well, you know, it's kind of hard to argue against anyone who comes to you and says, I got a word from the Lord. You know, you've already lost. Who can beat the Lord? Hey, brother, I got a word from the Lord for you. There is no way you are ever going to win against that. You're not going to be able to dispute it. And, and Job, he's lost all already. Who can dispute the Lord? But Eliphaz, he keeps going down his avenue. He has some more direction to give. Job 5, he's continuing to talk. He says, call if you will, but who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. I myself have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly his house was cursed. Uh, he's, he's, getting a little, he's getting a little harder here. The first verse here of chapter 5, it gives the sense of someone who needs to call on an advocate. Like someone who's getting ready to go before a judge and they need an attorney. They need a counselor. Call if you will, Job. State your case. Who's going to help you? Not even the, the holy ones are going to help you. Not even the angels. You're being a fool. You're a fool. I've seen a fool take root and his house was cursed. He's talking to a man who just lost his house. You know, his household, his whole family. And he says these kind of things. And then he gives his advice. Job 5, verses 8 and 9, Eliphaz with his advice. But if I were you, Job, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. So there it is. Job, listen, let me tell you what I would do. I would do this. I would go before the Lord. I would confess. I would put it all before him. And he's fully assuming that Job hasn't done this already. Eliphaz, who's already mentioned that Job was blameless, that his piety should, should carry him, give him his confidence. He speaks of his blameless ways, and yet he, he's assuming he's in sin, and he hasn't gone to the Lord and then Eliphaz, for the rest of chapter 5, he goes on to extol the greatness of God. And Job, if you'd only see how great God is, and you would go to him, God will bless you, and he'll turn your life around. 
And the implication here is that Job has let some foolish root take in his life, and it's caused him problems. He has some hidden sin, and God is here to discipline and judge him. And we know from the open of the book that that just is not the case. God chose Job because of his righteousness. Job's faith was being tested, and that's akin to a guy like Abraham, and that's what it reminds me of. Abraham, when he was tested with his son Isaac, and now here some well-meaning, well-intentioned person like Eliphaz comes into his life to bring some relief, and it's not going well. He is not giving good direction. He is giving bad advice. Now, hearing all that, how might we take this away and apply it in our own lives if we become the alternate route for somebody? If we are going to bring the aid and, and the comfort and the relief, how might we be a different road? How might we be, I'll call it, the way of comfort instead of Eliphaz Avenue? First, I think we should go with good intentions. We, we should have the best of intentions when we go to help someone, not, not to tear them down. We are going into their life to build them up. When you've heard that someone is suffering something, something terrible, something major, and you're near to them, certainly go to them. Go to them to help and offer support. But don't bring your assumptions. Don't make any assumptions about why they're having this problem. You should approach differently. Make it your goal to approach with some humility and some love as opposed to coming with your preconceived notions, you've already got the conclusion, you're gonna tell them what's what. And get a little direction from the Lord before you go. Pray before you go. Sometimes I don't even know when I go to somebody what I'm going to see or hear. I only know there's a problem. There's some kind of issue. So Lord, help me. Lord, help me with this situation. I need your grace. I need your wisdom. I need your love. I need... I need this, Lord, for the person that I'm going to see. I don't have all the answers. I don't know it all. I don't even know what the problem is necessarily. So help me. Pray before you go. And now when you get to that person, listen. We can give that to Job's friends, that they listen. Job spilled his guts. He blew his gasket. But did they really hear Eliphaz heard some of what Job was saying, but did he really get the depth of this man's lament? It didn't even seem to sink in with Eliphaz. I mean, picture the man. Picture the man who's in suffering. I mean, he is covered from head to toe with sores. He's described them as worm-riddled sores. They don't even recognize him. He's, he's looking that terrible. He's scraping his skin with sharp objects in order to bring some kind of relief to his pain. He's recently lost all of his children. He's recently gone bankrupt. And your first words are, hey, I got something to say to you, and I'm, please don't blow a gasket when I say it. Please don't get upset. 
I just want to let you know you're a hypocrite and a sinner and you need to get right before God. Were you really listening to what they said? So we need to listen and put ourselves in that other person's place. And that's not always the easiest thing to do, I'll admit. That's tough sometimes. But we could make that attempt to take that other person's point of view, if at all possible, do our best. That's the basic definition of empathize, and sometimes it's not the easiest thing. But try to understand what this person's going through. Try to understand what they're in, what's their situation. And do that before you respond. And, and then, after listening, after putting yourself in their shoes for a minute, you can respond. And when you talk, show you're there for them. Show that you're there to love. Show that you're there to support. Show that you're there to bring some relief. Acknowledge that person's hurt and their pain. Validate their suffering. Validate their pain. When we read the New Testament, we see Jesus was compassionate. In Luke chapter 7, he met this widow coming out of the city of Nain. We already know her husband's dead. She's a widow. She's leading a funeral procession of her only son. Now there's some pain. And we read in Luke 7, Jesus was moved with compassion for this woman. And he helped her. In John 11, there's Lazarus' family mourning that Lazarus is dead. Jesus was moved with compassion. That's the, that's the chapter that says Jesus wept. He wept with the family, moved with compassion. In Matthew 9, we get the description of Jesus traveling from town to town, village to village. And it says he was moved with compassion for the people because they were harassed and they were helpless. And Jesus' compassion was for them. And he said they're like a sheep without a shepherd. They got no guidance. They're lost. He saw their pain. He saw their, their hurt that they needed guidance in their life. They needed a shepherd. And Jesus saw the pain of every single one of us. He saw the pain of every single one of us. We're on the highway to hell. He saw that pain because of sin. We're on this road to destruction. And what did he do? He came with love and with humility. And he took on the human flesh. And he gave his life so that we might have eternal life. And he did it because he saw the pain. So don't minimize another's pain. Don't minimize another's suffering. Whatever they're in. Put yourself in their place. Listen to them. And then before you, you decide to give your opinion or your advice, 
Maybe ask some questions. And that's another thing about Jesus. He was great at asking questions. Sometimes all a person needs is a listening ear. You know what? They don't want to hear your advice. They're in pain. They're suffering. They want to get a load off their chest. They need to tell you what happened. They're venting. And it might go well if you find out if that's just the case. I do that sometimes. Are you just venting? Do you just want to you just want someone to yell at? Yell at me. That's okay. Uh, let it let it out. Let it out. You know, vent the steam. You got to vent your spleen. You got to you got to let it out. Or do you really want my thoughts? Would you like to hear what I think about this? Would you lo- And then if someone says, "Yeah, you know, can you help me out, or what do you think? You get the green light, then go ahead, go ahead. But before you do, you might ask yourself this question internally. Ask yourself, what would comfort you? Would it comfort you if someone told you you were a hypocrite in sin? And if the answer is no, perhaps you should avoid that, at least at this moment. I mean, it, it might be that you're going to get to that topic or someone might truly, truly have gone into a really heinous sin. But before we start pounding them on it, let's maybe try to help lift them up a little bit. And don't make it about yourself. And that's sort of what Eliphaz did, didn't he? Job, what I would do I would go before the Lord. Let me tell you what I would do. Let me, tell, let me make it all about me. And I'll compare myself to you. Job, you're a sinner. I'm not. I would go before the Lord. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm kind of righteous and you're kind of unrighteous. Don't, don't compare yourself to another person's situation. Uh, try not even to use the word I, if at all possible. And don't say things like, I know how you feel if you haven't been precisely in exactly the same situation. Because chances are you don't really know how they feel. So so avoid those kinds of things. And certainly do not lead with, I got a word from the Lord. Don't play the I got a word from the Lord card. Even if you truly, truly feel you got a word from the Lord, let that person maybe... Get that confirmation from the Lord themselves. The Lord can let them know you got a word. Or the Lord can talk directly to them. Instead of leading with this, I got a word from the Lord, use the word of the Lord. Use the word of God. Use that. Use that in times of need. God's word is rich with encouragement. It's rich for direction in life. I love what Pastor Avdal said to me after he did his little talk and then I was able to get up and talk, I came back and he said, Pastor Pat, I believe there's power in the word of God. And I was like, right on. You're, you're so right. Oh, we didn't have an altar call or pull people. We just let the word of God speak. Let the word speak. 
We have the word of God, and you can use it to encourage and lift someone. You can find examples in the word of God. Consider the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. It's an example in the word of God. She didn't have some hidden sin. No, she was caught. She, her sin had, had been exposed. But how did Jesus deal with her? He dealt tenderly with her. He didn't rail on her because of her sin. But he didn't ignore it either. He did eventually get to that. But he didn't open up by just pounding on her. You big hypocrite, you're in sin. No, he dealt with her tenderly. He said things like, whoever among you has not sinned may cast the first stone. All her accusers began to walk away. He said, woman, where, where are those who accuse you? Meanwhile, he's writing something. We don't know what he was writing. But she said, there's no one here. And he said, neither do I condemn you. And it opens the door wide for repentance. And his parting words then address her problem. Go and sin no more. So he dealt with it but he dealt with it kindly and with some wisdom. And when it uh, comes to another person's life and offering your help and advice, it's best not to hold yourself above that person and accuse that person of sin, especially when we have no indication of that. There was no indication of that in Job's life. So God was dealing with Job for other reasons. Eliphaz took it upon himself to say, Job, you're suffering because of sin. You're masking some sin. Well, that just wasn't the case. So come with, come with a, a different approach and be tender and understanding. Don't say things like, who being innocent ever perished, Job? In other words, you must be guilty. If someone has sinned, if they really have, you can be like Jesus. Be compassionate. Be that, that shepherd. Have that shepherd mindset to guide. Open the door to repentance. We can be the way of comfort instead of this, this Eliphaz Avenue that takes us to a really, really bad place. And if you're dealing with something in your own life. If you're dealing with construction, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you are feeling a little like Job, like you are having some troubles, some trials in your life, and you really aren't exactly sure why, but you know you've got to deal with them. I want to remind you of what I said last week. God's in control. He knows about it all. Maybe you've got to help someone. Maybe you're that aid. You're that alternate route to offer aid and comfort. This morning we close our service with prayer as we do every second Sunday. We open these altars for your needs. For your needs. Whether you're in that construction, whether you're helping someone with construction, we need the Lord and his help. So I wanna invite our elders up here to these altars. The word of God says if any among you are sick, a week, call for the elders of the church. 
and they'll anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith. And we're here to pray with you. And not just necessarily for your physical needs. If you have a need for just wisdom, you need some wisdom, you need some guidance, call on God. If you've been following along in our reading plan for the year, we're in Second Chronicles, the life of Solomon. What did Solomon do? When God said, what do you want? He said, I need wisdom. Help me, God, with wisdom. He didn't ask for riches or gold or physical uh, you know, strength. He said, God, I need your wisdom. Well, come to these altars to ask for that. If you have a, a financial need, if you're looking uh, for a, a job, whatever the need, these altars are open. And let's go to the Lord because he is not just the alternate route, He's the only way. Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And he'll meet you. He'll meet you. We believe that. Let's pray. And then these altars will be open to you. Father God, thank you for uh, your presence. Thank you for your word that's rich with grace and encouragement. Thank you for Jesus who gives us such a great opportunity to repent. Lord, we believe your word that says if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, your word also says if we have a need to make it known unto you and to even join with another, join with another by faith. Come to an elder of the church and ask together. So Father, we pray for any and all who come here to these altars this morning. You do a work in their life. Lord, that you'd use these elders as great channels of your mighty and divine blessing and that there would truly be the presence of the Holy Spirit touching lives this morning. We thank you. We commit it into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.